0: Our sermon text for today is out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. This is the word of the Lord. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, And they defile a person. We arrive today at a momentous passage in the Bible. This passage is foundational for biblical hermeneutics, for biblical interpretation. It is one of the clearest passages on the distinctions between the old covenant and the new covenant that we live under. I've been looking forward to preaching on this passage since we began studying the Gospel of Mark. And here we are today. And yet, this passage is not primarily about biblical interpretation. This passage before us today is about genuine, heart-motivated obedience. God always has always called men, women, and children to obey Him, but to obey Him from the heart. We're called to worship God. We're called to love Him at a heart level. This passage comes on the backdrop of the passage we studied last week. Really, this is a continuation of last week's passage. This is last week's passage... Part two. So it would be beneficial for us today to remember where we were last week and how we got there. So in chapter 1 of Mark, we hear the heart of Jesus' teaching. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus came to bring a message of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled. There's no more waiting. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus brings the kingdom near. Repent and believe the gospel. Those who enter the kingdom enter through a change of heart. Those who enter the kingdom of God only enter through the transformation of the heart. In chapter 4, Jesus goes on to expand on his first sermon, chapter 4 of Mark. Chapter 4, we first hear the content of Jesus' teaching as we see several parables. We, we call them parables of the kingdom. We especially saw this in the parable Of the sower. Which back then I told you, you may think that the sower planting the seeds on different grounds is a passage of encouragement for evangelism and missions. And it is that. But remember, I said it is more than that. The passage is not mere encouragement, but a statement that the kingdom of God has come. And the seed of Christ, the message of the gospel, is what gives birth to that kingdom. And whenever the gospel meets the heart of a citizen of the kingdom of God, this citizen then would produce kingdom fruit, much fruit. So the kingdom of God is about fruit. At the end of chapter 4, all the way through chapter 6, we saw Jesus displaying his kingdom power through miracles. As he shows the crowds that he is the one who brings the kingdom of God to them. The kingdom of God cannot be manipulated. The kingdom of God cannot be brought near By our own actions. Jesus has to bring it to us. So Jesus shows his divine power. He calms the sea. He walks on water. He delivers the oppressed, the demon-possessed. Jesus heals the sick. He welcomes the defiled. He raises the dead. Feeds multitudes. Clearly, the kingdom of God is at hand in the person of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, his disciples, who should be the first witness, who who experienced the power of Jesus himself, are still asking the question at the end of chapter 4, Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey Him. We can be very near to Christ and yet not know who Christ is. We can be very near to the kingdom and yet not be in the kingdom. And and what we're going to see today is that Jesus warns us not to be like the scribes and the Pharisees. that think that the the kingdom will come through obedience. The answer that Mark provided from the beginning of the gospel to this question, who is this, is that this is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And everything that we're seeing in the gospel of Mark is telling us, is showing us, is helping us see that Jesus is the divine Son of God. And if you want to know the kingdom of God, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must know the Son of God. You must know who He is. This question in Mark 4 must not endure in our hearts. Who then is this? We need to come to the place where we say, this is Jesus, the Son of God the one who brings the kingdom to us. We arrived at a transition in chapter 7 last week. We met again old foes. The scribes and the Pharisees. We hadn't seen them for three chapters. Jesus' Jesus' great adversaries, human adversaries in the gospel of Mark. Back in chapter 3, The Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus, and the scribes wanted to attribute His work to the devil. Last week, we saw that the scribes and the Pharisees confronted Jesus. They accused His disciples of defiling themselves because they did not observe certain rituals of hand-washing before eating But Jesus points out to the scribes and Pharisees that these are not requirements that come from God. But they are traditions of men. And we said that traditions are not necessarily a bad thing. But when we impose traditions of men on others as though they were commandments of God, that is called legalism. Legalism. legalism is alive and well in the church. It has always been, and it will be until Jesus returns and delivers ourselves from our constant desire to self-worship. Legalism is when I establish the standard of holiness. Legalism is dangerous because legalism is self-idolatry. We enthrone ourselves on the throne of God. We call the shots. We determine what is right and what is wrong. Legalism denies the wisdom of God. No, God, your requirements are not holy enough. I need to make them more holy. I know how holy they ought to be. You do not. And therefore, we end up setting ourselves as the standard of holiness rather than God Himself. Legalism is deceptive because legalists are often disciplined. Legalists are often self-controlled. Legalists are often well put together. But legalism is superficial and antagonistic to the gospel. We cannot embrace legalism and the gospel at the same time. One of them must go away. God desires not sacrifice, but mercy. The gospel speaks to us a different word than legalism. The gospel, in the gospel, God is the standard of holiness But not only that, in the gospel, God is the giver of holiness. Friends, holiness is never achieved. Holiness is only received. If God does not grant to us His holiness, we will experience no holiness. None of our works, none of our discipline, none of our church attendance, none of our longevity in church membership will ever achieve holiness unless the Lord grants us His holiness. At the end of the passage last week, we saw Jesus turning the table on the scribes and Pharisees. He shows them that they are the ones who are defiled, not because of their rituals of hand-washing, and traditions, but they are defiled because they've manipulated the law of God. Jesus shows the Pharisees and the scribes that their tradition kept them from practicing the heart of the law, love and compassion. Any obedience to God that does not lead us to love and compassion is not obedience at all. They found their way around keeping the simple commandments of honoring father and mother. Thus, Jesus shows them that their obedience was merely external. They looked alive on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. God is not impressed with legalism and external religion. God is looking for worshipers who will worship Him from the heart. So today, as we turn, as Jesus turns his attention from the scribes and Pharisees to the crowds, we're going to see two things. We're going to see, well, we're going to see this. We're going to see that our hearts are bent towards evil and wickedness unless the Lord transforms our hearts. And then we're going to see two things in our text. We're going to see the priority of the heart. And we're also going to see the nature of the heart. So as we turn to our text today, let's consider the priority of the heart. Jesus now wants to use the previous interaction that he had with the scribes and the Pharisees to teach the crowds. The, the word that you may have in, translated in your Bible, uh, peoples, is the same word as crowds, okay? Yeah, maybe your version does say uh, crowds. So, so this is the same crowd that has been encroaching on Jesus and his disciples from the very beginning of the gospel. This is the same crowd that often pressed against Jesus and his disciples in often inopportune ways. Jesus does not want the crowd to be like the scribes and the Pharisees. Notice that Jesus, we said this last week, Jesus' answer to the Pharisees' answer was no answer at all. He did not engage in their folly. He said, you are dead from the inside. This is why you don't understand the commandments of God but but jesus interaction with the crowd is different. Jesus turns to them and teaches them, so he says to the crowds, Hear all of you and and understand. hear and understand the scribes and the and the Pharisees were filled with Knowledge, they heard the words of Jesus, but they did not understand them. Followers of Christ don't just hear the message of Christ, they hear the message of Christ and they understand it. Proverbs 18, verse 2, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The scribes and Pharisees expressed their opinion, but their opinions were wrong. But people here had the opportunity to hear Jesus' word and understand what true defilement was. He invites them, he invites the crowd to sit under his teaching. So Jesus proposes a short parable. He says in verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, what an interesting statement. What, what an interesting comparison Jesus is making here. So far, we really haven't talked about food laws or dietary laws in the Gospel of Mark much Remember, the scribes and Pharisees were not accusing the disciples of breaking food and dietary laws. They were accusing them of not washing their hands properly, according to their traditions, before they ate. Now, without getting too graphic here, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is depicting the digestive system, the digestive process. There's a sense in which Jesus is using figurative language here. And this is partially why the crowds and the disciples don't understand what Jesus is saying. It is not what we consume, what goes into our mouth, that, come, that defiles us. But what comes out of us, that is defiled. A, a, face, a face value... It may seem that Jesus is making a distinction between food and excrement. Okay, this is what it seems to face value. But he's not. He is employing a parable. He's using figurative language to teach a deep truth. Jesus is here explaining that obedience is born of the heart. And not from outward rituals. But what is the heart? Throughout the Old and New Testament, the Bible mentions the heart nearly a thousand times. And yet when the Bible talks about the heart, it is never referring to the muscle that pumps blood through our bodies. That that is not the heart in the Bible. Now in the Bible, the heart is the essence of who we are internally. The heart is a combination of our minds and our souls, and they contain our desires, our thoughts, our will, our inclinations. Proverbs 4:23 says this: "Keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? Because for from it, it, for from it flows the springs. Of life. Just as in a physical sense, our lives are sustained by our physical hearts, and when our hearts are healthy, we are healthy. In a spiritual sense, our lives are sustained by our spiritual hearts. Out of the hearts flows, out of the heart flows the words we speak. Out of the heart flows the love we feel. Out of the heart flows the actions we practice. Out of the heart flows our thoughts, our inclinations, our desires, our passions. So Jesus says, worry not about what goes into your body, what you eat. Worry not about what goes into your mouth. Worry about what comes out of your body. Instead, worry about what comes out of your mouth. Do you see here? Right? So Jesus is not primarily talking about the digestive system, but he's talking about the difference between traditions and laws about what we eat versus the evidence that we give about the condition of our hearts when we speak. Why is Jesus saying this? Because the mouth speaks of the abundance of the spiritual heart. You know, we don't need to spend too much time with a person to see what the person really values. What is really in a person's heart. Just let them talk and they will tell you. I have a friend, his name is John. I first met John the day I led the funeral of his wife of 21 years. Her name was Shelly. John deeply loved Shelly. I've hardly ever had an interaction with John that he didn't bring up Shelly or showed me a picture of Shelly or remembered Shelly in some ways. John's heart was Always bear before me. And his love for his wife was clear and evident. Honestly, it was a beautiful thing to see. Do you want to know the condition of your heart? Do you want to know what your treasures are? Here's what you do. Speak. Speak. Listen to yourself, and you will hear your heart. And and we can then obey what Proverbs is saying, keep your heart. But we can't keep our hearts until we know what our heart is. Here is is a, a great thing that we can do. Ask your friends. Ask those people that talk to you, what do I often talk about? What do you hear coming out of my mouth? Do you hear humility? Do you hear faith? Do you hear patience? Or do you hear pride? Do you hear impatience and fear? And friends, as we examine our hearts, we can come to God with our hearts. And we can say, Lord, I need a heart intervention. Notice here in verses 17 and 18, Jesus enters a house with his disciples. Now, we, we again, right? So we often see that Jesus and his disciples enter the bolt, that, that article, right? Definite article. When, when we're talking about the bolts, apparently there was a bolt that was des- designed or designated for the ministry of Christ. Perhaps Peter's bolt. We don't know. Now, we read that Peter and his disciples enter the house. and Again, a definite article. So this is clearly a house that was designated for the ministry. Perhaps Peter's house. We don't know. But Jesus, often when he wants to speak deeply into his disciples, he enters the house. We've seen this throughout the Gospel of Mark. So his disciples are confused about what Jesus is saying again because they are right trying to understand literally something that Jesus spoke figuratively so Jesus rebukes them for that Jesus rebukes them right for not trying to understand what Jesus meant and this is a great pr- principle of application of uh, of interpretation right we try to understand what the biblical authors say We, We don't impose a preconceived grid of interpretation on the Bible. What does Jesus mean? When Jesus speaks figuratively, we must understand what that picture is pointing us to. When Jesus is speaking literally, we must take every word literally. And this is how we ought to interpret the Bible. To a certain degree, the confusion is understandable. Remember, this passage started with the rebuking of the scribes and Pharisees, not for what they ate, but for traditions. But now, Jesus is talking about food. Why is Jesus talking about food? Here's why. Because Jesus wanted to go so far, presenting freedom to his disciples, that he wanted to go beyond tradition. He wanted to go all the way to commandments. And He wanted them to experience freedom in Christ. In all things. Jesus didn't want His disciples to just find a little bit of relief from the tradition of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus wanted His disciples to experience complete freedom in Him. So Mark in verse 18 Adds just a few simple words. Words that if you're not paying attention, you might overlook them. Mark says, thus, he declared all foods clean. Do you realize what just happened here? I mean, a universe-shattering earthquake just took place here. An atomic bomb just exploded here but mark's comment is almost in passing casual parenthetical i mean for us to understand what is happening here we need to go way back all the way back all the way back to the opening chapters of the bible all the way back to the garden of eden So I'm going to get quite theological here for the next few minutes. So you're going to need to turn your thinking, Christian thinking, your Christian mind on. But I think at the end, we're going to greatly benefit from thinking carefully about what is happening here. So come with me through a brief survey of Old Testament food laws. So Adam and Eve observed a strictly vegetarian diet. God imposed conditions on what they could eat. They could eat all vegetables, but even within the vegetables, there was one tree that was kept from them. God has always cared about what we eat. They ate from the trees in the garden and all that was in it. And even after the fall, we read that Adam's curse was to work the land with the sweat of his brow. Still, nothing but the produce of the land. Now, when we come to Genesis 9, Noah, on the other hand, is told, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So God expands the food choices for Noah. Noah basically has no restrictions in food choices. But then when God gives Israel the law, the Pentateuch, the five books, He gives them food restrictions. You can find those restrictions primarily in Leviticus 11 and in Deuteronomy 14. That which was once permitted is no longer permitted for Israel. This would be a sign of distinction, holiness between Israel and the, and the nations. Leviticus 19, verse 2, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So I think it's important for us to ask the question, what is the point of this distinction? What is the point of this holiness? And the Bible makes it clear. The point of such distinction was to isolate Israel From the other nations. It was indeed very difficult for Israel to intermingle with other nations since they couldn't eat with them, or live with them, or work with them. But why was it so important for God to create such a distinction between Israel and the nations and to isolate Israel in such a way? Because God's promises to bless all the nations dependent on the seed of Abraham being undefiled. If Israel lost its et- ethnic identity, how could God fulfill His promises of blessing all nations through the offspring of Abraham? And yet the f- offspring of Abraham came. Jesus came as the son of David with a distinctively Jewish identity, as the promised seed of Abraham. Jesus is the promise, is the fulfillment of every promise from God. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in Him that is in Christ. Therefore, the distinctions that were once imposed were no longer necessary. So Paul tells us that Jesus unites all people Into himself by, Ephesians 2, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. This is why Jesus is able to declare all foods clean. Now, I know I just covered a lot of theology. But let me give you a very practical application for this today. Marvel, rejoice, enjoy the freedom that Jesus has bought for you. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of our tendency is is to try to place rules and regulations on us that Christ himself does not impose on us friends listen to this no one experiences greater freedom than Christians in this entire world do you realize that what Jesus declared in our passage today makes us or causes us to experience greater freedom than Adam and Eve themselves experienced in the Garden of Eden? Do you realize that our experience of freedom in Christ is greater than the experience Adam and Eve had ever experienced before sin entered their experience and entered the world? And we are called to enjoy this freedom. So what is our parameter for food today? Do we have one? 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do you want to understand Christian freedom? Here is the essence of Christian freedom. Love God. Now, don't take this word to mean, right, love of romantic comedies. No. Love God. Wake up thinking of God. Go to sleep thinking of God. Only have biblical thoughts. Only pursue that which is godly. Kill all sin in your life. That's what it means to love God. Love God. And then, do whatever you want. Now, don't don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying... That Christ requires nothing of us. But here's what God wants. God wants for our hearts to be so transformed that our desire will be obedience. Not just our practices. God, tell me. Tell me what I need to do and I'll do that. No. God wants us to love Him. And by loving Him, we'll desire to do exactly what He wants us to. To do it is a it is a heart deep obedience love God and then you'll be free to do whatever you want because you want to obey God but there's a problem isn't there we don't love God we don't start our days With godly thoughts and end our days with godly thoughts. We haven't killed sin completely. We don't desire to enthrone God in our hearts often. We don't desire to do his will often. Love for self, love for the world often dominate our hearts. Love for things so often compete with the love that we ought to have for God alone. And so, Jesus shows us not just that the heart is the priority, but he also shows us the nature of the heart. And by seeing the nature of the heart, we're going to see our need for Christ. So let's turn to our last point today. Although everything flows from the heart, humans have a big problem. The human heart is corrupt. The human heart by nature produces Nothing good. Friends, we need to move away from this mentality that human beings are generally good by nature. We're not. That is not a biblical thought. That is not a biblical principle. The only thing that the Bible says that we are by nature, right, is the object of God's wrath. We're by nature, Ephesians 3, objects of God's wrath. Our children are not by nature good. Our loved ones are not by nature good. We don't obey our ways into heaven. Heaven is not a place for people who are naturally good. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So, how senseless. Is the advice follow your heart. This is why Jesus says in verse 20, one more time, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. So Jesus goes on to list what these things are. Verse 21 For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Interesting that Jesus begins with the mind. No sin is conce- conceived in the heart that was not first born. In, I'm sorry, no sin was co- first conceived. In the hands, actions that was not first born in the mind, in the head. Then he mentions sexual immorality. This is porneia, which refers to any sexual activity outside of marriage. Theft, which is taking things that belong to others. Murder is the taking of a human life. Adultery, sexual activity with someone other than your spouse. The list becomes a little more internal now. Verse 22, coveting. Is desiring something that has, that God has not given you. Wickedness is just another word for evil. Deceit is the intentional misleading of others into falsehood. Sensuality, which does not only refer to sexuality, but to anything that is carnal, fleshly. Envy is the desire to is to desire the life, the possessions, the experiences of another slander is to speak evil of another person in order to defame them and let me say something here about slander slander disguises itself in many ways at a church it can take the shape of loose conversations concern or even prayer requests friend all sin of the tongue die when we just say well I'm glad you brought this up. Let's go talk to this person directly about it. Slander and gossip is something that we must always be fighting against. Why? Because the evil in the heart is lingering even in the church. We must be a church that slays slander, that kills gossip. At every opportunity. And here's how you do it. You bring it to light. You bring it to light. It it takes two to gossip, doesn't it? If one person says no, we'll talk directly to the person that you're talking about. Gossip loses its power. Slander loses its power. Then he goes on to say pride, which is an inflated view of self and then finally foolishness which is a rejection of God's way so Jesus concludes in verse 23 saying all these evil things come from within and they defile a person what a bleak assa- assessment Jesus but Jesus but Jesus is saying himself that this is the natural condition of the heart. This is the natural condition of my heart and of your heart also. Jesus is telling that this is the condition of every human heart. Friends, Jesus is telling you that the condition of your heart apart from Him is hopeless. Nothing we do, is, nothing we do that is good is, is firstborn, of our hearts. Our hearts are like sponges. When we're squeezed by the trials of the world and challenges and difficulties, whatever comes out is that which was already in. Adam and Eve tried to, sh- to shield themselves, right? Adam, why did you sin the woman you gave me? No, Adam, it's your heart. You sinned because you desired to sin. Eve, why did you sin? Well, the serpent caused me to sin. No, Eve, it's your heart. It is the condition of your heart. This is what caused you to sin. And friends, ever since, we've been blaming others for our sins. Have you ever done something you regretted? Have you ever hurt someone you loved? Have you ever willfully sinned against God? Have you ever persisted in sin? Have you ever asked yourself, why did I do that? Well, Jesus is giving us the answer here. It's your heart. So when trials come, when difficulties come, we we may feel tempted to point to circumstances as the reason for the sin within. Lord, if you just... If you just gave me better health, I'll serve you more. Lord, if I had an easier spouse to live with, I would be more patient. Lord, if you provided me with a better job, I would be content. Lord, if I had more money, I would be more generous. Lord, if you gave me a wife, I would no longer struggle with lust. Meanwhile, we forget that all these things, are born within. And they are the things that defile a person. So, Pastor Lucas, are you saying that all humans are corrupt by nature? Yes. That is exactly what I'm saying. And what are the consequences of this corruption, Pastor Lucas? The heart-level corruption makes us sinners And therefore, separated, alienated from God. So, is there a solution for this problem? Oh, yes, there is a solution for this problem. But that solution is not found within us, but outside of us. The solution is that we must be holy, but holiness is a gift. Is a gift that we must receive from Christ. The scribes and the Pharisees attempted to make themselves right before God through traditions and commandments. But Jesus offers his salvation through the transformation we can experience in the new birth. This is the promise of the new covenant that is here for us today. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart. That's what we need a spiritual heart transplant and a new spirit output within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. The heart of stone is what produces defilement from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Friends, have you been transformed by Jesus or are you putting yourself under rules and regulations in order to to receive or obtain favor from God? Here's the beauty of the gospel. The obedience that God will demand of us has already been accomplished by Christ. The holiness that we must have in order to see God has already been given to us in Christ. The sin that makes us deserving of God's wrath has already been paid by Christ on the cross. But Christ was raised from the dead and he now lives inside of those who come to him by faith beauty of the gospel is that Christ is in you and that is your only hope of glory he lives in the heart of believers and this is why friends obedience is possible I don't want you to take my sermon and think that I'm saying to you that obedience doesn't matter no obedience matters But obedience is only possible through Christ, in Christ. Why? Because through the power of His resurrection, He has given us Himself through His Spirit that indwells in us and enables us not to live according to the wickedness of the flesh, but to live according to the fruit of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit enables us to obedience because it is Christ's Obeying in us. So the question that matters at the end of the day is not how carefully you've obeyed every commandment of God. But have you trusted the one who obeyed every commandment for you? The life of a Christian is a life of obedience. But the obedience we render to God is the obedience that he first gives us through the transformed heart we have in Christ. So, friends, let us pursue the holiness that God gives us in Christ. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we do not want to be defiled. We want to be holy. And yet, Lord, our heart is constantly waging war against the holiness that you have given us. Father, how we desire to be delivered from this body of death so that we may experience the fullness of glory of Christ. Help us. Help Central Baptist Church be a church that obeys you. But not according to traditions and commandments. But according to a transformed heart that is given through us to us through the power of your Spirit. Father, write your laws in our hearts so that we may live a holy life. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.